Farming on a 300-year-old estate brings a lot of unique challenges and opportunities. On this week's Over the Farmgate podcast, we'll be talking to the farming and forestry team at the Blenheim Estate. I'm your host for this week, Farmers Guardian Head of Business, Alex Black. Don't forget to subscribe on your favourite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. Now, Blenheim Estate has a long legacy as an estate gifted from Queen Anne to Sir John Churchill for leading a historic defeat of the French armies in 1704. The palace that he built, the park which surrounds it and the wider estate are now a World Heritage Site. And wartime Prime Minister Winston Churchill was actually born at the palace in 1872. That's a big legacy to maintain. But the estate is also looking to the future with a big emphasis on apprenticeships. I've been speaking with Charles Gehring and Nick Bainbridge to find out more. So I'm Charles Gehring and I'm the farm manager here at Blenheim. Yeah, I'm Nick Bainbridge and I'm the head forester here at Blenheim. Um, so first of all, you know, if somebody's listening to this and, and they don't know much about Blenheim, will one of you just sort of run us through, you know, what, what goes on there and, you know, the, the different enterprises that you have on the estate? <laughs> <laughs> what doesn't go on at Blenheim? Um, yeah, number one is a large stately home, the only palace outside the royal family. Um, we have lots of different companies sort of go through. We have a water industry going on, sparkling in still water with hotels. Um, we also own a, a construction firm, so houses going up around. Um, yeah, it's and just holds all sorts of events at Blenheim. Uh, game department as well? We have, we have a game. You've got your sheep as well as... Yeah, and sheep and cattle, the farming, and there's, there's, there is um, contract farming through uh, a Velcourt agreement as well. Um, yeah, there's lots going on. Excellent. Um, so, first of all, uh, Nick, do you want to tell us a little bit about your role and what you do on the estate? Uh, yeah, the role is very diverse here at Blenheim. Um, one, you've got a million visitors a year coming to the estate. Um, so, health and safety is, it takes top role. Um, so, you're concentrating on a lot of tree surveys and a lot of climbing and making sure that it's safe for the visitors. It's, it's not good PR if someone gets knocked over by a flying branch. Um, and also, also looking after the rest of the estate, we've got 12,000 acres to look after, uh, 2,500 acres of woodland, plus that's growing as well. We've recently planted another 300,000 trees, so that's nine new woodlands going in, plus there's more in the future. Um, so that keeps me busy. <laughs> In the area called High Park, we have um, the largest collection of ancient oaks in Europe. Um, and so we leave everything in there. So anything that dies stays in there. It's just as important as, as a living tree. Um, some organisms only live on sort of 400 year old rotting wood. So it just, it just all stays in there and has a nice biodiversity in there. Brilliant. Um, and uh, as well, where, where does the timber go, I think? Did did I get a mention of the Tokyo Olympics? Could you tell us about that? Um, we do get some requests. Uh, thankfully, uh, the, the horse trials guy builder 
who lives very locally approaches us to want timber and to get timber in in japan was such a headache so we cut all the timber for the olympics for the horse trials and um he shipped it all out we also did beijing as well excellent and that must be quite exciting from your perspective to see that at the olympics it's, it's quite novel you sort of you watch the olympics and say I've just cut, I cut that a few weeks ago. It's, it's just a bit, it's strange. It's come all the way from England. Brilliant. And, and Charles, you know, do you want to tell us a little bit about your role on the, on the estate? Yeah. So I look after, um, we've got a thousand ewes, um, producing fat lambs. <clears throat> and we've got a small herd of British white cattle that are resident most of the time in the woodland. Uh, it's about uh, 12 cows is what we've got there. And we think that's sort of the right number. Uh, we had we had too many to start with, so we've, we've cut down. And, and why are they resident in the, the woodland? What what um, you know what benefits do they have for land management? Well, <laughs> I think between <laughs> between this we can probably explain it, but it, it's it's a multiple role really it was a thought of what could they do in there and we i think we've seen quite an increase in dung beetles and things like that haven't we in there yeah um in the past it, it was an ancient grazing woodland and so we thought it'd be nice to put them back in there and having a big problem with bracken um and the cattle tend to stand on the bracken and keep keep under control yeah, so it, it, it's working to a certain degree, I would say, with that, isn't it? Isn't it? Well, yeah. And why that breed? Okay, so we just looked at it, looked at the breed and thought, it's an ancient oak woodland. We're an old stately home. Why not have an old fashioned breed that fits? Yeah, they are, a, they're developed from some of the ancient park white cattle. So, it looked like they'd fit, and also they're a bit more easy to spot being white in the woodland. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, you don't want brown cows in a woodland. Yeah, I will add sometimes, though, that as Nick says, he, they leave the, the oak trees to when they fall over, they, they stay there. And um, they go in the summer, they go quite a, quite a, a bleached mm. grey white colour. So you can be looking for the cows, and you suddenly think, oh, there's one. No, no, it's just an oak tree on its side. <laughs> uh, what do you do with the meat from the from the cattle and from the the sheep? So the uh, we've only this year has been the first year that we've had any meat from the cattle, and it's going to the local butcher shop in Woodstock. So that's where it's you know, keeping it local, um, and eventually next year, hopefully. More of it will come through uh, the restaurants in the palace. What's the plan with that? And as far as the lamb goes, again, we supply the local butchers, and yeah, it goes into the into the, the the food chain. It's all lambs that we produce. And I know you're both um, keen on apprenticeships and the value of apprenticeships. Do you want to tell me a little bit about maybe about some of the apprentices you've got on the estate and why you think that's so important to support? Uh, yeah, definitely. We've had apprentices now for the last four or five years. Um, they're doing it. The ones we've got now have just started a two-year apprenticeship. Um, 
it doesn't seem to be that many forestry apprenticeships out there and it had to be an arborist course so we got two apprentices instead of a one and um, we share with a, a local tree surgeon um, firm uh, Nicholson's Nurseries and so they can get their climbing experience with them and the rest of the forestry experience with us um, so they get the best of both worlds and it's nice the fact after two years they can come away with qualifications and go straight into the industry and maybe if they're good enough to stay on. <laughs> and Charles, how do you work with the apprentices? Yeah, so uh, we're on our third apprentice on the farm. Um, again, I guess we started at the same time, about four or five years ago yeah. when we had the first apprentice. And again, same as Nick, really. It's nice to bring people on and bring them into the industry because it's a struggle getting young people into farming. And yeah, to bring them on, give them a qualification and hopefully set them up for the big wide world of, of sheep farming. And you alluded to it there, obviously, agriculture, um, and I don't know about forestry, but I know agriculture certainly has has an issue with, you know, staff uh, recruitment. How, how do you find that? Um, does, the, does the name and the attraction of the estate bring people in? <laughs> yes, it does, but not, not in the numbers that I thought it would. Going back four or five years ago, there was a huge number of applicants for the first apprenticeship, but since then it has dropped off. And then, you know, the most with the most recent, when did we year ago, um, not many at all, or not many suitable apprentices. Let's say. And what about forestry? Do you, do you find the same in that sector? Um, it's been fairly similar, a similar amount of applicants each time. Um, but again, this last particular time, I think maybe because of COVID, we were getting all strange people from different walks of life. People sort of later in their life wanted a change of change of job. Um, so yeah, ideally we're looking for young people who have need to start in the world rather than someone who wants to just change. Um, yeah, we have what, pastry chefs and academic people just wanting a change. Um, but no, it's not looking for sort of teenagers and early twenties and really sort of someone who's just starting out in their life, really. I think also with apprenticeships, it, it's good if, well, for me, I feel like we should be trying to find a, local apprentices to us as well, giving young people in the area an opportunity rather than somebody from miles away. You can't always do it, but if you can, I think that's really good. And what would you say to you know, our, our listeners, farmers that maybe have never taken on an apprentice, but might be considering it, what would you say to them? Um, do it. it. It can be a challenge at times, for sure. But I think at the end of the day, you, you'll be proud of the fact that you've given somebody an opportunity and you've set them up to go out into the world of farming. Nick, have you anything to add to that one or feel the same? It's very similar, really. It is, um, yeah, you do need to some, quite often have the eyes in the back of your head, um, especially they're sort of seeing them pick up a chainsaw and they're quite inexperienced. Um, but after two years, they should be absolutely should be spot on underneath your sort of underneath your watch. Um, and you can trust them and they, they like so they can go off and do what they want to go and do. They might want to jack it in for all you know, but, it, but if they want to carry on in the industry, that's great. 
yeah, hopefully you can inspire them to do that. Um, and I'm conscious that it's October, but I'm going to ask you, Nick, as well, about the Christmas tree enterprise on the estate. Can you tell us a little, little bit about that? Oh, tell me you're a love. Um, <laughs> yeah, it takes up quite a lot of our time, but we just grow and sell what we have. We don't buy in from abroad or from anywhere else. So we don't sell a huge amount and we, and we supply a lot of local schools and restaurants and hotels. Probably only sell about six to 800 trees a year, which on the Christmas tree scale is very small. Um, and then sort of on the weekends, we're open to the public just sort of three days a week, just to, sort of, just to sell to the locals. Uh, it brings a little bit of cash, but I wouldn't say it's a nice thing to do, but it's not going to make us rich. And you've both mentioned the word local quite a lot in there. Is that something that's particularly important to you, supporting the local economy? Definitely, yes. Yeah, it doesn't blend as a whole. We're sort of trying to support all local companies within sort of the 20 mile radius, but you can't always do that. No, it is, it is important. I think. Local is important nowadays. I think it's very important. And obviously, we've got the the way that the cattle on, on your side of it work with the woodlands. Uh, how how does the estate as a whole work together? Do all the different enterprises gel together very well? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody sort of mucks in and helps when it's needed. So it's, yeah, it's good. It's good. In the time that you've been at the estate, how have you seen it? I suppose change, stay the same, develop. It has absolutely raced on. Um, when I first came here in 1986, there was 15 on the forestry and, and a very large farming side of it. Um, it was all done in-house. Now it's all dealt out of contract. Um, there's six of us on the forestry now, and it's pretty much Charles on the, on, on the farming. Uh, so you must as well out of contract and the estate I think we used to have about 200,000 people a year visit, and now we're close to a million. It's um, plus, it seems to be an event on every weekend that brings in an awful lot of money. It's, it's quite a lot fast-paced than when I first started, so, so I've been here for 36 years now. And yourself, Charles, how have you seen the farming side of it change? Yes, yeah, so, um, as Nick mentioned, yeah, the farming was a big operation. We farmed six and a half thousand acres. We had 500 dairy cows. Um, four and a half thousand acres of that was arable. 20 people employed on the farm. And yeah, that's, that's pretty much gone. Everything's come back to just farming in the parkland, um, in the park itself. So yeah, big changes as far as that goes. Um, and yeah, there's me and a shepherd and an apprentice. And, and I do quite a few other jobs as well nowadays, not, not necessarily that farming related. Um, <clears throat> yeah, huge, huge change. Mm. And as Nick said, the events as well, they, they've increased no end, um, which is also a challenge for me with raising sheep and, and knowing where we can and can't go. And, and we need that field for a car park, quick, move them. <laughs> I suppose, yeah, I know you mentioned the health and safety uh, element, but having so many, you know, members of the public on what is, you know, far, farmland or, or your forestry must be a, a bit of a challenge for you. Yeah, it can be a challenge at times, yeah, for sure, for sure. But I think 
Well, as Nick said, he's been here 36 years. I've been here virtually 30 years. We've got to know what we can and can't do and, 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 and we make it work. Thank you to Charles and to Nick. Don't forget to pick up the latest edition of the Farmer's Guardian out today. We've got all the coverage of the Tory party conference and the latest retail news with retailers threatening suppliers with delisting if they ask for price increases. And in the dairy sector, farmers are jumping ship from retailer aligned contracts as they're tired of jumping through hoops without getting the premium that it deserves. That's it for this week's Over the Farmgate podcast. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back with another episode next Friday. Thank you for listening. Goodbye for now.